One time I was drunk on a morning show in Montana. The host asked me if I had a nickname. Said my friends call me the Dirtbag King. She said on the air I started giggling. Hasn't had me back, but now I've got this podcast. Welcome to my podcast. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in. My name's Charles Ellsworth, and you're listening to A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. If you're not familiar with me, that's all right. You're definitely not the only one. I'm a songwriter first, musician second, somewhere down the line filmmaker. Pretty much I just like to tell stories. Some people have called me a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, and I'm definitely semi-professional at everything I do. Nothing single-handedly makes me a living, but it all adds up to getting by. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in. Welcome to this week's episode of A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road with my friend Leslie Barth. Uh, we had a really great conversation, went went almost, the distance went almost two hours, but uh, just really great talking with her. Leslie and I met a few years ago through a mutual friend, Michael Abuso, and we've kind of played a little bit together here and there, um, played some shows. I've just always really liked her energy. She's a great songwriter and just a really genuine person and i think you'd really enjoy this conversation um once again if you'd like to support the show you know you can go to patreon.com forward slash charles ellsworth and sign up to kick in a dollar three five whatever every month it's not going to break the bank but really adds up to helping me keep the lights on and, um, and just have a budget when it comes to being able to make more projects um, we talk about patreon a little bit in this episode because she was someone whose brain I picked about Patreon before I started mine because I wanted to see what she thought about it and hear it kind of directly from the horse's mouth. Another way you can support me is by checking out the merchandise I have for sale. Uh, go to charlesellsworth.bandcamp.com. Uh, all my merchandise is listed there. If you're wanting to avoid paying Bandcamp fees or Bandcamp taking fees out of my money, you can just find out what you like on there. Hit me up on Instagram, charles.smellsworth, and you know we can work something out that way. Um, either way is all very appreciated. Um, every little bit makes a big difference. So if you're hesitating about what to buy, um, you know, hit me up. If, if you know we can talk about things. If you're hesitating about you know buying something or whatnot, um, I know money's tight right now. You don't have to worry about spending money if you don't have it. There's lots of ways you can help me out. I just had a new song come out today. I'm recording this. This won't. This episode won't come out for a couple of weeks, but my new song, The Past Ain't Nothing, is out now. One way to help me out is go to Spotify, Apple Music, whatever you use to listen to music, and like or sh um, download, save that song because it helps me in the algorithm. Also, listen to it. That makes a difference. And share it with your friends. Sharing my music um, with anyone you think would enjoy it just makes such a difference to me you never know who you're going to share it with and they're like holy shit chuck's my new favorite artist they become big fans of mine i play their wedding you know it's just a it's just a love fest and it all starts with you hitting that share button so please just take a moment and do that and it makes a huge difference to me also if you use apple podcasts please or even if you don't and you just want to do me a favor real quick because you can't afford to buy a t-shirt at the moment just go to apple podcasts rate the podcast and leave me a review it's 
it doesn't take that much time and it helps the show get noticed to more and more people and pick up a little bit more traction and makes this kind of a more viable way for me to um, get my word out there without being able to be on the road right now. Yeah, I think that's that's about it. Share the podcast with people, not just my music. Um, and, you know, take care of each other. Go, go help someone out this week if you can. Or if you see someone struggling, you know, help them out. Uh, I had a, the other, I was pumping gas the other day um, and here in Brooklyn and this, this houseless person, this man comes, comes charging up to me to ask me for something. He's not wearing a mask. And I just immediately like kind of retreat, like jerk reaction is just like, Oh, you know, you're not wearing a mask. And he's like, Oh, and it like, I felt really bad. It's like weird how our, how like right now it's like, it's for safety, but also yeah, it's just like, it was just really kind of felt really rude, but ended up talking to the guy and he, he just needed some money. So gave him a little bit and gave him a mask. Cause I just always have masks in my car. Um, and it was a great interaction. I just felt better about everything. He seemed to, you know, be stoked that like, you know, he's going to be able to approach more people without having to worry about infecting them or spreading the virus. If he, if he has it, once again, I'm going to make the understatement of the century. It's a weird time. A lot of strange, strange things going on. And, um, you know, all we can do is just try and be kind to each other and vote. Please, if you're not registered to vote, find out. Don't even find out when that deadline is. Go register to vote right now. Um, if it's past that deadline, I don't know what to tell you, but we need, you need to get out there and get people to vote. We need we need to see some change happen and it's all going to start in November. Like I said online, if you're not stoked about the Joe Biden, Kamala Harris ticket, we got to stop this train before we can reverse it out of fascist town. So please register to vote, go vote in November, wash your damn hands, wear a mask. I love you all so much. And please enjoy this episode with my friend, Leslie Barth. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, this is Chuck, and you're listening to A Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. I got my friend Leslie Barth here. Hey Leslie, how you doing? Hey Chuck, I'm doing doing pretty good. Caffeinating, uh, living living life in this pandemic world. Yeah, caffeine caffeine is a good place to start. It's a nice base level if yeah. if you're one of those people. Yeah. Oh, I, I very much am. I went on a run the other day. <laughs> without having coffee first and I spent like the first hour of my day in a haze I have like no idea what happened so oh no yeah that's uh that's a real risk um I have I've lately slipped into like I've always been kind of a pothead I don't think anybody's uh surprised by that or not always but you know the past most of my adult life I guess you could say yeah. <laughs> since college uh but like not really like much of a wake up and wake and baker as they call it. Right. Um, but because of COVID, I kind of have been. And then now I just realize like, I don't know, I've, I'm just like my tolerance is way lower and my mornings are way more hazy, even with all of the coffee. And so I'm kind of trying to scale that back as hopefully things turn into some sort of like not normalcy, but you know what I mean? Like normal. Yeah, yeah. Trying to just be, I don't know, like, it's its like weird when you're trying to figure out like the, the relationship with the substance of, you know, am I using this too much as like a crutch or, or, or is it, is it bringing anything to the, you know, 
trying to be aware of that, but yeah, kind of living through the last few few months is you, you do what you got to do. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's, there's been like, um, there's been so many different seasons of this and I feel like there's a lot of like collective consciousness kind of shifts where people feel really energized and are like, you know what, it's hard, but maybe, um, we'll bring about something better and I can adjust what I'm doing in ways that are actually going to serve me long-term. And then like the next week, everyone's like, don't talk to me. This, I can't handle reality. I don't know. I felt that I'm with my friends, like just the, the ebb and flow of this. Um, Oh, it's, it's unreal. You're so right. And I was actually just thinking about that. Um, like, cause my, I, I go to therapy once a week and, (laughs) and, uh, well, I don't go to, I guess now I, I, I FaceTime with my therapist once a week. Yeah. Um, but we, it's like this week, she's like, Chuck, you're like a whole different person than you were last week. And she's like, and I've seen all these different versions of you in the few years we've been seeing each other. And like, what's the difference? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Cause like last week was just the worst ever. And I was frustrated at the end of my rope. I was dealing with Verizon for like, like their customer service for like a week, which is, I I thought I had died and gone to hell. I'm not even joking. Yeah. Um, It was, yeah, it was the worst, but it's funny. The ebb and flow that you talk about, because I can feel it with my roommates, coworkers, um, you know, I can feel it with just about, I don't know, everyone. So it's funny that you mentioned the collective consciousness. Yeah, it's really strange. I I feel, and maybe it's because we always feel a little bit bad and a little bit hopeful. And so we just also want to relate to people. So when I tell somebody where I'm at, they're like, oh, me too. Maybe there's some of that. But, and I also just think, you know, in terms of what's been going on in the world lately and in news lately, people react to that in similar ways if you're kind of in the same community. Um, but yeah, I've had a lot of, a lot of, I would say like high highs, low lows, um, since March. Yeah. It has been in the weirdest way, like living life to the extreme and like the boringest way possible. Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like I used to skateboard and snowboard and like throw my body off like 50 foot cliffs and and like this seems more extreme than that in ways. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, it's all and like most days the big exciting thing I do is take a walk and you know sometimes it's like yeah, sometimes that's super energizing and sometimes I'm like in tears on the way back. Um yeah. but yeah, it feels very uh I don't know, like Jane Austen novel. Like yeah. Go for my constitutional I don't know. It's a it's it's a, a weird time, as as the understatement goes. Uh, yeah. Um. So, I mean, it, transitions aren't my my uh, strength. So I'm just gonna jump right just into dive it. Dive right in, yeah. But uh, um, you know, we, we've known each other for a couple of years now, but kind of just super like on the fringes, just through songwriting and and like, you know, only seen each other less than a handful of times. Yeah. But uh, always been like a really really great time and I feel like we've always gotten gotten along pretty well so I wanted to for sure kind of get to know you a little better and so starting first where where are you from where are you born where'd you grow up tell me a little bit about where it all started 
Yeah. Well, I, man, those are all like, I have different answers to all of those things. Cause I was born in Santa Fe and then immediately moved to Switzerland for a couple of years and then Germany for a couple of years. My dad is an opera singer. And so oh, wow. we were in Europe uh, until I was about six. And then we came back to the States and I grew up, you know, my childhood was sort of outside of Philadelphia in the suburbs of Philly. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. So I was there. And then after college, I spent a year in, in Philly and then moved to New York. Um, so, okay. so yeah, you know, Philly and the area around then still very much feels like home, but I've been here for a while and, um, I guess getting close to that kind of 10 year mark. Oh, wow. Um, cool. Yeah. Which blows my mind. <laughs> for sure. I, I've, um, wait, I'm at seven this fall, six. Okay. And you're from the Southwest. Yeah. Yeah. I'm from, uh, I grew up in Northeastern Arizona. So you mentioned okay. Santa Fe. Yeah. Um, I grew up in a town in the mountains of Arizona about, I don't know, two and a half, three hours from Santa Fe. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I was there, uh, for the first 14 or so days of my life. Wow. That's um, wild. <laughs> yeah. And I actually, after college, two of my friends and I went on a road trip for six weeks and just camped and stayed with friends. Um, you know, stayed in national parks and crashed on people's couches and we went to Santa Fe and wanted to go to, I had this picture, uh, I guess of my parents outside of the hospital that I was born in and we wanted to find it. And we were just having, this was like, I guess GPS was sort of a thing, but we didn't have iPhones or anything. So we couldn't for some reason find this hospital. Um, and we're driving around for a while and all of a sudden it like just appeared. And I had this moment of like, oh, this is where I came to be. And I don't know. I, I love I love the Southwest. I mean, I just think it's magical. Um, uh, that's, that's really cool. I'm that uh, that makes me smile. You can't see, but I'm, I'm smiling. Yeah. Very big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, at this point, I like taking a day trip to Long Island feels like incredibly like adventurous. So, <laughs> um, uh, you know, yeah. I haven't left um, the city. Like I've I've gone upstate for like I went fishing this past weekend and like nice played like a, a social distance show where I'm like I like drive up there and play and drive back then that day yeah Cause like because it's not not really in the budget to be like paying for a place to stay but like campsites are all booked up camping on the east coast is weird I miss I was so spoiled growing up because you just like drive outside of town in the west pretty much anywhere and then you're in like BLM yeah like land and you're just like okay I'm just gonna camp here because it's like my right as an American citizen to just right camp here for two weeks <laughs> yeah yeah we definitely did we did some of that we had we were you know like group three twenty two year old women like camping and we stayed at some KOAs but we also just you know, national parks where you just leave $10 in the bin. Yeah. Um, pretty magical time. I, yeah, it was, it, and it's sort of, it's funny, you know, thinking about like the name of this podcast and like being on the road that, mm -hmm. I mean, those six weeks, we, I wasn't playing any shows. It was just for fun, but that was certainly six weeks was the longest time I've ever lived that way. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and I don't know if I could do it again. I feel like I like doing a week, two weeks, now seems more feasible but even that it's like you know 
and I, you were certainly touring a lot more than I was like, just to have that not really on the table for the foreseeable future is wild. Yeah. It's kind of really throw me off because that like my plan was I made a record at the beginning of this year. And then my plan was to be on the road as much as possible, like up until I put it out. And then while yeah. I put it out and after I put it out and cause that's just like, that's the way that like I sell records. I don't, I don't know how Same. to get like, <laughs> like I don't know how to get the internet or whatever the people tastemakers to give a shit. So I just like get out there and play and yeah. like people respond well to it. And it's, it's worked out for me over the years, but yeah. like I, that whole like getting bloggers or whatever it is these days, I don't know, to pay attention. It's like, that's just beyond me. I don't know. It don't is. It. It's just a pay thing. I mean, I've paid for PR. I paid for PR for this last album and the, and the plan was that I would be touring it two months this, this summer. Yeah. Um, you know, and I thought, okay, well, just gonna throw a little budget here and I'm going to tour and I'll make up for some of that. And, you know, cause I, I'm the same as you, like that's where I've grown an audience mm-hmm. is from seeing people live. And it's also just what I like, like I feel really disconnected having to do all this online stuff right now. Um, yes. And I, to me, like the job is sort of being on the road every so often and meeting new people. And that's what I enjoy. So it's been a real like, I mean, I guess it's good to kind of have that affirmed, mm-hmm. but I'd rather have it affirmed by like experiencing it rather than like being told I absolutely under no condition can do it. Um, no, that's, it's true. But, and um, I 100% am with you. Sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off if you had something else to say. No, right no, now. I, um, not at all. Oh, but um, so yeah, it's like having it affirmed is it's interesting that you mentioned that because so many times I've been on the road and having the opposite happen like minute to minute, you know, and it, or, it, <laughs> or it changes minute to minute. And it's it's so much, you know, something I'd like to talk to you about more is like now that I'm like earlier, you mentioned six weeks on the road. You're like, I don't think I could ever do that again. And I definitely hit my breaking point a few years ago where I, I did like a three and a half month run that was oh just, my gosh. it was stupid. And I, I just, I came home from it and I straight up had like a mental breakdown. Like it's, and it's been kind of, kind of putting the, the pieces back together for the past yeah. two, two plus years. And um, I believe it. it's such an intense experience. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time I was like seeing someone and it was like just poor communication and it fell apart. And, you know, it was just like all of the things that like, um, yeah, made me had to like, I had to take a step back because like all I've wanted to do since I was out of high school was just be on the road, like farting around with my friends. Um, and I've pretty much done that in a lot of ways, but having like that realization that it's like, I don't like this anymore. I don't like this like this and it's not fun and I, and I don't feel good about myself and I don't like where I'm at. And uh, I don't know, it was, it was really weird to kind of like be like, Oh, the only thing I've ever wanted, I I don't want at all anymore. And having to reassess who I am and what, you know, and how to approach things from that. And I, I, I know a couple years ago, we're kind of jumping ahead, but a couple years ago you jumped into playing music full time. And like, what were you doing yeah. before that? And, and what, what inspired the change? Man, I, so I ended up in the corporate world 
um, when we moved to New York. I basically spent a year, year or two teaching lessons, music lessons in mm -hmm. Philly, doing that whole thing. And then when we moved to New York, I got into the corporate world, wound up at a tech company um, and, you know, started off as an executive assistant and then kind of worked my way up to where I had more responsibilities than I cared to and just kind of had a total identity crisis. You know, um, the work situation wasn't amazing either. There was a lot of, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's a very male dominated field. It was a very male dominated company. Yeah. And I don't know where the, the uh, stereotype of like women being dramatic came from because my experience <laughs> there was entirely the opposite. And I think just having like sort of been an executive assistant and worked closely with a lot of senior executives there, I just wound up seeing a lot of like the sausage being made, I guess, yeah, you know? Totally. Um, and yeah, it was just sort of, it turned into a bit of a toxic situation, which at the end of the day, I'm grateful for, because it kind of made me aware, of, you know, that this wasn't going to work for me long-term. And mm -hmm. I, I kind of always knew that. I remember the first day of my first job in New York, I got there at 8.30 and I was sitting in, I had like an office on Madison Avenue. It was insane. It was just like a total fluke. Um, I had this very nice sort of situation that I was not aware you know, it wasn't normal. Um, but I, had nice my, was I wasn't aware. I had my own office and wow. um, I was sitting there and I looked at my watch and it was nine, like oh five or something, nine fifteen, mm -hmm. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> I was like, I can't do this. This I've made a terrible decision. I was like, okay. Cause I, I think I wanted to, I've always kind of wanted that security. I'd sort of had a difficult childhood and um, difficult to say the least father and mm -hmm. wanted stability. And so was drawn, I wanted like, I was drawn to the corporate world and I thought if there's a way that I can make this work for me, um, you know, maybe that's better. Mm -hmm. um, and like half an hour in, I was like, oh no, I definitely can't do this. <laughs> like, li like literally half an hour or like. Uh... Literally, I was, I, I mean, I stayed for eight years in the corporate world cause I had, you know, I had student loans to pay off and I, and I was still figuring things out. Yeah. But I think in that half hour, I realized I was like, oh, this is not going to be a career. This is going to be a job. This is going to be a thing I do to make ends meet while I figure out other stuff and while I, you know, play at night and all that stuff. And then, you know, seven or eight years later, when I'm at this tech company with more responsibilities, I, you know, my music had also progressed a little bit and I just felt like I wasn't able to do what I wanted to do there. And, was always stressed. And so the decision to leave had been a very long time coming, but it kind of happened instantaneously, which I think, I don't know, for me, that's how things happen. It's like, they're a long time coming and then something happens and I am all of a sudden 100% decided in my heart that I'm going to do it. And I got this email from our CEO and it was tons of people were on this email and it was just, I could just tell that there was going to be this huge kind of shitstorm of work and people pointing fingers and all this stuff that was going to come out of it. And a lot of men complaining. And I was, <laughs> I was just like, I'm done. That's it. Actually, I'm done. Like, and I um, called my husband and I think he didn't pick up and I called my brother 
and I, cause he, I've been talking to him about this and, and, uh, I was like, I think I, I think I should do it. I was like, I'm going to talk to Chuck tonight. And you know, my, my husband's also a Chuck yeah. <laughs> for listeners that they're confused. And, um, I, uh, my brother was like, you know, sometimes you gotta, you gotta make space for the things yeah. that you want in your life. Like it's not, they always tell you, you know, when, when you leave, have this much saved up and like be already making X amount from your other career. And I don't know, that's probably the smart way of doing it, but that is not a way that worked for me. And, you know, it's been a real, uh, real journey the past two years. I still make, I would say more than, more than half of my, well, certainly since COVID, you know, all of mine or most of mine, but even before then it was sort of more, more than half is from teaching lessons. Uh-huh. So I'm trying to kind of over time scale back as I kind of grow what I'm totally. doing musically, which is actually is worked out pretty well. Um, I, I I think being immersed in it in whatever form is just so beneficial. Like the 10,000 yeah. hours thing, what like wh- whether you think 10,000 hours is like whatever you, you feel about it, like the time spent in it, whether you, like you're just immersed in music, the the better you're going to be, I think. I think you're totally right. It's funny how like, and I'm teaching lessons to young kids and it's cool because it's a, it's a songwriting school. So they, you know, I'm teaching through like the, I guess, modality of songwriting, like different instruments. And um, so it's fun and it's creative, but like they're young kids, but I'm still amazed at how it up levels what I'm doing. Totally. It's fun. Yeah. Well, I was just actually, (laughs) Um, where I, I was talking to my, I think it was my therapist the other day, actually about how, um, oh man, I'm, I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose this train of thought. This happens sometimes. So bear with me. <laughs> That's okay. Me too. Uh, it's, uh, um, oh no, it's about how like, cause she, uh, um, she had finally like listened to some of my music after like a couple years, which I had never even told her to, I don't really care. Uh, <laughs> uh, sure. but, um, she's like, well, how do you write songs? And I'm like, I don't know. Cause I never, I never have time to just sit down and write songs. Mm-hmm. I'm just always writing songs. Like there's always something working in the back of my head on these songs. And every once in a while, I've got 10 minutes to pluck away at my guitar. And, and then that's why it takes me like years to finish a song. Cause I don't have time to just sit down and be in it. Yeah. But I imagine like if I had built my life around, just being in music more and what I'm kind of trying to do as opposed to like stepping away from bartending and that whole world like that you'd find more of that time or it's like I've already got my guitar in my hands because I just yeah. finished a lesson you know is is that true or am I am I kind of grass is always greener type thing no I think it's true I also think that it's like you know I can get a good hourly rate teaching so it's sort of like if you can get a better hourly rate, because I had a right after I quit my job, uh, my corporate job, I had like this part time job in an office, like an office manager thing that I, I absolutely hated mm-hmm. um, just because it felt like many steps back, which I know not not wanting to sound like, I don't know, I don't know, obnoxious, but it was just like going from like being in meetings with VPs and like C-level executives at a tech company to like cleaning the fridge and making far less just felt not awesome. And I yeah, think yeah, totally everybody's, I mean, sorry, keep going. 
well, yeah, it just sort of, it served the purpose at the time. And I was there for, I don't know, less than a year. Um, but, uh, I liked the stability kind of, of it. And I think is what was appealing to me. Like I just needed that stable thing psychologically. Totally. Um, as I was building up my roster of students and everything, but, um, yeah, I think if you're able to do something where you just make a little bit more then you have more free time. And certainly now that it's virtual, mm-hmm. um, and I've been able to keep most of my students, which has been amazing. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, I have so much more free time because I'm not, you know, carting around three different instruments on the subway. And, <laughs> oh yeah. you know, it's just totally. so many hours back in the day. But I think you're right. And just like it, keep my, it keeps my head's in one space all day. It's music. Yeah. Oh, mine is too. I just happen to like be getting paid to do something else. Right, right. Well, you know, it's like, my head is always trying to like, I like my roommates and I'll joke about. They're like, "What are you doing in your room all day?" And I'm like, "I don't know, scheming." Like, right. I'm I'm trying to book tours, like write publicity publicity statement, like like I'm trying to do all of the things. So much. Figure out figure out how to sell more T-shirts. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just like all these ridiculous things. So like, yeah, my mind's always in music, but it's very rarely in the actual music. Right. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think especially with touring, like you've done quite a great deal more than I have. And, but, but I mean, it is all consuming and it's, even if you're getting away for a week, even if you're getting away for a long weekend, the hours that go into planning that and to promoting it and to making sure your merch is prepped for it. Like it's, it's so much more than people realize. It's so much work. I I love it. Every time some asshole calls me, I'm like a, a mooch or like a lazy hippie or something like that. I was like, you, you don't even get it, dude. Like yeah. you, cl- you clock in for 40 hours a week. Like I never, I haven't clocked out from my job in 10 years. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's super impressive what you do. I, it really is. Oh uh, no, thank you. I appreciate that. But I, we don't, we don't need to sit here and talk about what I do. Cause no, I'm just <laughs> I, as an observer, as someone who's like done some of those things, I, I know what goes into it and it's Yeah. I no, I really appreciate that because sure. that's that's how I deal with all of the shit. Yeah, um, you I gotta feel like hold this... on to the the good, like the compliments. Is that what you're talking about? Or well, no, I try I try to hold. I'm just saying, like, I really unhealthily like this has been my most productive year probably ever because wow. like my way of dealing with shit or like is is almost avoidant, like workaholic, like. Oh, I see. Um. It's it's not it's not super healthy, but I've also gotten a lot of shit done this year, and I feel like yeah. I'm gonna be like full time musician coming out of this. So that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's pretty exciting. But speaking of dealing with shit, I'm gonna take us back a bit to like um like what growing up was like, and uh, um you mentioned your dad was an opera singer, and you guys moved around quite a bit. Yeah, um, you, you, you and you have a brother. What, like what was home life like you can talk about whatever you feel comfortable with or yeah um it it was you know so my dad's an opera singer my mom was um like an actress choreographer director sort of theater world Uh I think they met because she was choreographing um an opera that he was in I think in DC maybe um but so I mean uh I would say it was a um dramatic household they were they were sort of always fighting and um 
my dad, you know, is just, you know, he's a, he's a personality disorder guy. So there's no, there's no kind of, um, there's nothing you can do about it really, but it makes, it makes, it made it pretty difficult. My brother and I are super close, um, which I think has helped a lot. And just the one brother I do. Yeah. Um, and my, and I, you know, we're close with my mom. She's still in the sort of outside of Philly. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think there was for a very long period, I almost until when I quit my job, because I think a lot of what drove me to quit then too was, was starting therapy again and like dealing with some shit I'd never dealt with. I think I just spent a long time, maybe till I was like 27, 28, um, not dealing with things and kind of, you know, s- slight level of depression, and anxiety all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know there, exactly what you're, well, not yeah, exactly the, what you're talking about, but I, I. The disassociation, is that a, that yeah, was for, sort of the thing for me. <laughs> Mine was like, I'm, I never knew that I was socially anxious, like had no idea that I was socially anxious until I tried like quit smoking and quit drinking and realizing like, oh, the only way I've been able to deal with being around other people for my entire adult life is by escaping to chain smoke cigarettes, or just like drinking to try and like, make myself fit in that pocket of comfortable. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it wasn't until I quit that I was like, oh, I'm, I'm not good at this. Like, I'm not good at this. And then, but also getting all the benefits of quitting alcohol to where it's like the, the depression and anxiety hum are kind of quieted and, and I'm like much more clear and confident. And then being able to be like, I don't want to deal with this, (laughs) you know, instead of like trying to force myself into the social situations all the time, just kind of removing myself from the unnecessary ones. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also like a muscle too, like that can kind of atrophy if you're not using it. So like, even if it's, um, so I don't think I'm speaking out of term, but like my husband's gone through something similar where like now that he's not drinking, like he's learned how to get sort of just be a little bit more comfortable Mm -hmm. um, when there's not the crutch. Yeah. I've, I'm, I sometimes like, and and I gotta, I gotta show compassion to my former self because that's, you know, very important, but I'm sometimes really bummed out at all the time I missed out on because I was trying to figure out how to like be in my skin. And it was, and it was just like through the least healthy ways, Yeah, you know? And, uh, but that's what society like tells us too. I mean, like our attitude, I think culturally towards drinking is really, really twisted. Um, oh, it's it's so unhealthy. My first day of attempted sobriety ever, I'm walking around Bozeman, Montana. I'm like at like I had hit rock bottom the day before. Mm-hmm. Um, and my like it's like a comfortable rock bottom. And I'm like walking around. It's Sunday football season, I think. No, it wasn't football season. It was spring. But um, and like every single sandwich board is just like boozy brunch margaritas blah 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 blah. just like get fucked up it's the weekend you know and it's and it's like it's not just the weekend it's sunday morning right you know what i mean and i was just like i was like this is fucked like and 
And part of that, uh, with a handful of other things, I think really led to me being, I mean, it was an on and off process to quit drinking. Um, it's still a process, but uh, that was one of those moments of like, yeah, nobody wants you to succeed at this. Like you've right. got to, you've got to decide that like you're fucking done. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, society, like the U.S. wants us to always be working, tired or drunk, like so we don't like rise up. <laughs> yeah, you working, know? tired or drunk. That's a song title list. Yeah, that is. I'm make a note there. <laughs> yeah, you should. I'm not going to steal it until you've got one year to write that song or else I'm and then it expires. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, man, it's it's true, though. Like um, I read this book. Oh, what was this woman's name? Holly. Can't think of what the title is. Oh my gosh. But she um, also started this like society of like not drinking. Um, oh, is it, is it this naked mind? No, it's like oh, okay. the te- Tempest. Oh, okay. I don't know that. Society. But she wrote this book that was geared towards, I think women and, and, and drinking, but I think kind of applied to everything. And Mm-hmm. just sort of like eye-opening of like no like this is poison like <laughs> straight up it is just, straight up poison poison and like you know i um i sort of by myself i'm not a really a big drinker um but i certainly had a lot less a lot less to drink you know with my husband not drinking and you know my brother doesn't drink now so i feel like i've <laughs> i've like been around it and you know when you're in music you can't you can't escape it. Um, yeah, you're either sober or you're a fucking alcoholic in music. Like, yeah, or, or you're on your way to either. Maybe, right. and that's those are big broad brushes. I'm sure there's plenty of people with long careers that have had healthy relationships with alcohol the whole time. I just but, know that it's one or the other for me. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Yeah, that, that's that's definitely true. You have to know that for yourself. For me, it's like like the other night I had a drink and I was like, this is too much for me. <laughs> like my, I think my happy place is like a few a month, uh, like when I'm out for fun. Like I just don't have that. Um, I have to keep doing it, but that's, that's if, awesome. if you have it, yeah, I'm super, super, super grateful for it. Um, you know, cause it definitely exists in my family and, um, you know, I've been around it and it's, yeah, it takes a, there are so many people that have that, that the idea that, it's so available and promoted in society is just horrible. It's, it's horrible because it's, um, I mean, it's, it's the most addictive thing. Uh, it, I don't, yeah, yeah, it's so bad. Anyone who's listening, we don't need to go too much further into it, but yeah. anyone who's listening, like, honestly, if you've got questions about, um, sobriety or anything like that i don't use a a program or anything but please reach out because there's a lot of things i i have to say about the good and bad about of alcohol and i'd love to talk to you about it if you're struggling so that being said um yeah coping mechanisms no so like it's it's funny because our childhoods um inform a lot of this and or and then you mentioned something earlier about how like men are dramatic and that's the fucking truth and i'm (laughs) and like i'm kind of super guilty of being being dramatic like i'm 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 just like a like i don't even know how to put it but um i feel like men are not given uh culturally like emotional roadmaps like they're i i you know 
I have a lot of friends I can talk to about things. I can express my emotions. I can express sadness. I can cry if I'm upset. There are so many emotional outlets that men don't have, are not like nurtured to have, um, that I think that's where, I think that's where it comes from, you know, because for me, whenever I'm my most dramatic, it's because, well, it's either like because of hormones or because I've been like suppressing things for a while. Yeah, totally. You know, and I read this tweet the other day. Oh, sorry. This just really made me laugh. But this woman was like, it's amazing that like some, she said something to the effect of like the ability to rebrand anger as like not an emotion is kind of amazing for as a a means of men not having to say that they're emotional. Yeah, it's, it's so it's fucked because it's sorry. And I I don't have better words for that, (laughs) but like, it's so deeply ingrained, just like patriarchy, like, and, and it, and I, it makes sense where it comes from because like survival of the fittest, however long ago being like the most aggressive and not saying men are more fit than women. It's more of just like aggression and ability to turn on that switch or whatever to fight off the pack of wolves versus, you know what I mean? Like speaking of of alcoholics, like I've heard, and I don't, I'm not a scientist, but I've heard somewhere that like people that have a much stronger fight um, response are the t- same people that have the alcoholic gene. Interesting. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's, uh, and there's probably, I don't know, I should probably not say things that I don't have fucking sources for because that's how we got into this mess. Yeah. But <laughs> uh, Facebook. Mostly uh, harmless. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, no, it's, it's, you're totally right. And a lot of what I tried to draw attention to on my, my next record is that whole, you know, toxic masculinity and the inability for men to even like, like the, the, the idea of toxic masculinity, the first time I heard it, I scoffed at it because it's like, fuck you. Like, you know what I mean? But it's also like my response as like a not evolved man or, you know, like less evolved than I currently am, I guess, as far as forward thinking, um, is like all you've ever told me to do and be is a fucking man. So fuck you. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and it's such a disservice. It, it, it's bad for everybody. That's like the thing about patriarchy. That's the thing about racism. I mean, it's obviously much worse, you know, for the groups that it's obviously much worse for, but you know, as a means of like selling it, <laughs> selling like anti-racism and anti-patriarchy to people who are not as evolved or ignorant I think, you know, it's not helping anybody. It's, this is bad for everybody. Um, yes, 100%. Yeah, yeah. The reading bell hooks for the first time made me be like, shit. Yeah. This is bad for everybody. And I don't, yeah, it's, it's been kind of blowing my mind ever since being introduced to intersectional feminism and like all the issues that have come up in the past few years since I came like came across the concept and then watching it be like, I don't really see any other solution, (laughs) Yeah, you know, other than seeing where our lives intersect and like, um, and like creating a society based around those intersections and like a people forward society, not like a profit corporation forward. Um, that's a man, we're, we're, we're getting into it. (laughs) Sorry. I feel like I'm, I'm one of those people that every time I, do something like this people are like okay we're just going 
<laughs> no, I I love that, and that's that's where I want to go as far as like part part of what I want to do with this conversation or with with this podcast is like a lot of the times when I was going through that that mental breakdown and um, kind of like trying to get myself back up from wherever whatever low I was at, I like a lot of my friends had left New York, and I just felt and like kind of that whole being being a man thing, being afraid to reach out to anyone. Luckily, I just found a therapist but just like the whole time being like there's so much shit I want to talk about because I'm going through so much shit and and I don't know how to like I don't know I'm going through so much I'm learning so much and I'm also just watching the veneer of society and like everything that I've really thought was some form of truth or or objective reality like kind of being torn away and me being like I kind of want to talk about this shit because nobody does or not enough people do 100 percent yeah it's it's exhausting having to pretend that everything's okay yeah I when I was at my low point last week as far as in therapy I was like we've built a society where we have everything but nothing fucking works like (laughs) it's like all I got to spend 30 minutes fucking around on a, on my keypad on my phone to get in touch with a human being just to tell them that my phone doesn't work. <laughs> like right. it's uh, like, I don't Yeah. Um, and it yeah. just can be, and just pretending that it's like, what are you talking about? Everything's fine. I'm, I don't have any problems with the way society is. It's like, then you are, ex- you are experiencing an insane amount of privilege, my friend, or you're an idiot. Like you got to get your head out of the sand or your head out of your ass. Like one or the other, because everything's fucked. Everything is. And I think it's like, it's privilege and it's also luck because, you know, even if you are privileged, I'm not talking about like the 0.01%, but if you're in like a 1%, you're living a very comfortable life, whatever. Um, You're still like a few medical uh, issues away from bankruptcy. I mean, it's, insane yeah um how yeah i oof, i uh yeah i have a lot of a uh, lot of issues with the, the healthcare system and i think it's really hard to know i'm like at what point people that work for a health insurance company i was like at what seniority level do we get to shun them from society like at what seniority level is it no longer acceptable to have that job? Because obviously if you're a customer service rep, like you're making minimum wage and, you know, I don't have, take issues with those people. Um, but at what yeah. point are you responsible? Like, is it junior VP? Is it senior VP? Like, when do I get to these people not get to be allowed into society? No, that's, <laughs> that's a, sorry, continue. No, I mean, it's, it's not just that industry. It's a lot of industries. My whole, so much of my, beliefs are really just boiled down to like follow the money and like agreed it's that simple <laughs> yeah i well i think it's uh so my that it's, it's going back to to verizon it's like i'm, I'm on the phone with these customer service reps and I, i'm just like i know this is not your fault and i'm and i'm sorry if i'm sounding frustrated like i, I try and make because i used to do over the phone sales in college. So like, I, I'm just like, I know this isn't your personal fault, but your company has like, you know, like, and it's like, I told my roommate, like, I want to find the the physical embodiment of the the human being of Verizon. Cause if a corporation is a person, I want to find that person and take a baseball bat to its head. 
Oh, yeah. It's- and I don't want to do that to really any humans. I mean, I could name a few, but I might go to jail. So, like. But that's the problem in treating them like like people. Because, yeah. that you know, um, because if that's true, then, like, they have to be held accountable. And we obviously aren't doing that. I, I Yeah. Yeah, I uh, it's let's let's not barrel off into hopeless town because I I mean it can feel really hopeless. But I but I I there's there's something to be really said there about like as a um as a songwriter in a way you're kind of like a a, like a cave diver, a spelunker, or whatever you know. Like you're you've got to be able to dive deep into this like uncomfortable and these 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 topics that are. Or like just seeing the, I don't know. It's like this ability of diving into hopelessness and pulling hope out. Yeah, totally. <laughs> like it's it's a it's a really interesting thing. So these tangents it's, are always welcome on this podcast. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I this week I had this sort of realization that you know I, not realization, but I I don't know. I was fixated on this idea for whatever reason, but. You know, I don't write happy songs and like, what is, what's that about? Because I think I've been the past couple of years, you know, meditation has been something that's been really helpful and grounding and just sort of taking control of the narrative in my head, you know, mm-hmm. has been a tool I've had to use a lot, especially since I left like stability, security. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, okay, well, what if I, you know, I write a lot of sad songs or I don't even, I wouldn't necessarily call them sad because I think there's a point to them. Uh Um, But I think that's how they sort of get characterized broadly. And I was like, okay, so I had this weekly call with a friend of mine who's also a songwriter where we kind of hold each other accountable to things and like touch base on what we're doing that week, which is really helpful. That's awesome. One of the things I said I wanted to do, I was like, write a happy song. And it's Friday and I've tried like every day (laughs) and like, I cannot for the life of me, there's, yeah, I I sort of think, I guess it's, it's feeling like I have to have a purpose as a songwriter. Like I have to be, I want people to learn something about themselves or learn something about human nature, see it in a different light through my songs. Well, if I wanted to sell people some false form of happiness, I'd I've become a a car salesman, right? You know, and I like, and I don't think you, I not to sound like the ultimate cynic in the world, but like, if you're writing nothing but blatant like happy songs, you're just selling shit. Like you're not. It's not. I don't. I don't know. And I'm too many problems in this world. (laughs) Totally, and I'm not saying that like you can't be inspired by some form of pure bliss or happiness, but like writing something happy for the sake of writing something happy. I think, I think it's a fool's errand. Sorry. And if, if you're, if you're determined to do it, do it. But like, I think you're better off taking that song title that we came up right, with earlier. Yeah. What, what was, what was that song title uh, earlier? Working tired, drunk, working, working tired, tired or drunk. drunk. Yeah. I think you're better off talking about how, like taking that totally. song title, writing a very, this is what, and I'm not telling you what to do, but what I would do is take that, try and write a very sad working person song, blue collar uh-huh. song yeah, that has sh- shines of hope through it. 
You know? Yeah, I think that's, you know, that's where I always en end up. And like during this process of trying to write a happy song, I've written like, or started close to finish, like two songs that are basically about, about like why I can't write happy songs. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, so like, you know, I'll see if any of those go anywhere, but it's, um, yeah, I think it is a bit of a fool's errand, but it was sort of interesting. And I was talking to talk about it and, and saying, you know, I don't know, this is I have such internal resistance. Like everything I write just sounds super corny if I'm like trying to write a happy song and I'm like, what is, what even is happy? And, yeah. uh, you know, he's like, well, that, that makes sense. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Like, you know, like, I, I don't know. I've always found a lot of listening to sad music has made me happy. And because it's like, oh, finally people are being honest. Totally. Like, and it doesn't mean sad music. I don't like, I don't ever like music that just despairs totally. And the end, you know, yeah, I, I, you know, very, you know, maybe there's a few like, I don't know, Leonard Cohen tunes off his last album that I can like get down with. But I don't think any of those songs despair though. I, I like despair I know, is they the don't. last word I would use to describe that song. Not to contradict you. No, or I, I, I was mainly joking a bit, you know, as but, dark but as it, it can get. And it does sound, yeah, you're it right. It does sound dark, you know, um, <laughs> But yeah, I don't find them despairing ultimately either because I wouldn't, I don't think people would even bother. You know, it's like people, nobody listens to people that just rant online about how everything's horrible. I mean, I guess some people do, but yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I think it, that's what I've always been drawn to. I and mean, when I think about sort of some of my favorite, my favorite songwriters, you know, this like Leonard Cohen, Bruce Springsteen, Joni Mitchell. Mm hmm um tom petty um oh yeah who probably gets the closest to like happy sounding stuff but it's you know it's it's he's has such a he's just masterful i think in terms of the craft you know his efficiency oh like, i i agree and never like, an ounce of fat no never an ounce of fat and he's also uh Tom Petty, I, th I think it gets undersold because it is such a lot of it's such feel good, just like dad rock, you know, right. um, but there's and, a lot of heaviness, like he's able to do heavy stuff really light. And it's like, you know, it's sort of like it's like Frank Sinatra with singing or Fred Astaire, you know, they make it seem so easy. But there's a lot to it. And it's so I mean, I uh, it's. Uh, yeah, it's it's. So there's this book that I read a, a while ago, actually, like the summer before I moved to New York. It's called uh, Fire and Rain, The Lost Story of 1970. I can't remember who wrote it, but um, it's kind of about how like 1969 was like the summer of love and like the Beatles and like it, like it was just like this thing. And then 19 and so it gets like branded as or, like Woodstock, like branded as like the fucking gear. And he's like, yeah, 1970 was also like there was a lot of stuff going on. And it was kind of where the singer songwriter, like James Taylor, came right. from fame. Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. That. Yeah. Oh, did you? I think so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's. I really loved it. And um, at some point, he's talking about Paul Simon, who's one of my favorite songwriters. Yeah. And um, sure. and Paul Simon taught like a songwriting class at NYU, and one of the things he said was like, uh, I'm. I'm paraphrasing, so hopefully it's I don't mess this up too bad. But he's essentially like writing pop music is saying every single thing you want to say with as little words as possible. And yeah. I was just like, oh, that's. And so when you talk about efficiency or the economy of Tom Petty, like a few weeks ago, 
I, I made the, the ill-informed decision to reach out to an ex and, uh, which ultimately like was a good thing. Cause it ultimately led to me kind of finally being like, dude, like it's time, it's time to move on. Like it really, yeah. it's, it's, it's some like, closure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if closure is a thing that's ever going to happen, especially <laughs> with this particular person, but it, it's just really like, dude, like you, you gotta fucking move on, man. Yeah. And, and then sure enough, Tom Petty's time to move on came on like a playlist like, oh, with, like, a little bit later. And it's like, Oh man, broken. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read one of the choruses, like, uh, or it's not even a chorus, but one of the verses: "Broken skyline or broken skyline, which way to love land? Which way to something better? Which way to forgiveness? Which way do I go?" Yeah, it's just like fuck, dude. Like <laughs> that. Oh man, that yeah. hearing that song the day that I kind of was like. Dude, you gotta fucking move on. It's like cliche. It's like the song that would come on in this point in the movie. But like we're human and this stuff exists for a reason and cliche exists for a reason. And and it just was like, I don't know. It, it, it's it's like when it hits, it hits with him. Like Yeah. yeah. It really I was does. I was running and uh oh, don't come around here no more came on. And that's another one that like, I can immediately like, <laughs> you know, I have my scenario in mind, like who that's addressed to for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, yeah. So I feel like he's, he's like an outlier in the group of songwriters that I tend to go to. Cause I feel like I like verbose. Um, I tend to, I, I tend to be a little more verbose sometimes. I w- mm-hmm. I'm trying to be less so, but I feel like a lot of my, you know, inspirations, you know, it's like poetry that takes up like the full page, you know, it's just like totally. uh, a lot of text. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've been, I don't know. It's so weird what you were saying of like, there's sort of the working songwriter, touring songwriter kind of world. And then there's this, you know, industry tastemaker, gatekeeper, kind of bullshit Mm -hmm. and uh it's it's weird i mean i it's hard to especially when you can't be on the road i think i found that really hard because it feels like all that there is is this online you know tastemaker gatekeeper like um vanity numbers that kind of stuff totally and, and that's not why we got into this. Like, no. if I wanted, if I wanted to sell people shit or check, like, like bottom line is, if I wanted to worry so much about the bottom line, I wouldn't be playing music. Yeah. But when it's all online, all you're worrying about is analytics and like the number of likes I get on a Instagram photo. Oh, which yeah, is kill like, me, right? It's, <laughs> It's funny because I'll complain about this with my therapist and she, I'm like, and it's stupid. It doesn't even fucking matter. She's like, apparently it matters. Like yeah. you're talking about it every week. And I'm just like, oh, oh. Yeah. I, you know, I feel the same way. And it's like, I hate that it matters. Yeah. And I hate that we're beholden to these like corporate giants that, you know, have kind of fucked with our democracy and, you know, caused a lot of very real harm. Yeah, Facebook started a full-on genocide. Yeah, it's, you know, um, but I don't know. It's tough. It's really tough. I feel like a lot of, you know, this album 
came out May 15th and I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna release it because I'm gonna release it. And, yeah. and you know, this, um, we were in a pandemic and up until I would say like in March and April, you know, my sales for this record were better than I've ever had before, like by far. Uh -huh. And um, people were really excited to support music. And I think that as time went on, the industry started to very quickly realize like this isn't, we're not rescheduling tours for August and September, like we're canceling them. Yeah. And, you know, all the big stadiums shut down for the rest of the year. And um, I think at that point it was like, oh, there's really not a lot of space for an independent artist online. Yeah. You know, unless you're spending all your time doing like digital marketing and it's like, that's so not what we are spending a for. lot of money. Yeah. Yep. So it's, I don't know. I think for me, I realized like I have to do the things because self-care, you know, is so important right now, but I think in general for humans and especially if you're like your own boss, which is what we are effectively and running a business, which is what we're doing. Like you have to have that structure of self-care and I, I, um, no, I've lost the train of thought. <laughs> you, you were talking about how like there was no space online for independent artists now. Yeah. And I felt that too. Uh, my, my numbers as far as like, I was doing really, really well at the beginning of the pandemic, as far yeah. as like attention to like live streams and all of this stuff. And I'm not like my fan base that's listening and this is not me being upset with you. It's just, it's just interesting how, the industry and like all this money started going towards, well, we got to entertain people on the internet now. And that's mm -hmm. kind of taking up all the space because they, cause like they dollar, yeah. Dollars make space. That's how capitalism works. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. It's like, and that's something with the, the black lives matter movement, black trans lives. Like I'm like something I'm trying to like, don't lose hope because the one saving grace of capitalism is as soon as everybody's like, no, fuck that black trans lives matter. Mm -hmm. Pepsi, Pepsi's going to be putting money into the narrative being black trans lives matter. Yeah. That's the only benefit of capitalism. Everything else about it. I think it's just dumb bullshit. And I think we need to have a people forward economy, but what do I know? I, I write fucking songs. Um, <laughs> So like bringing that back to this is another tangent, but bringing that back to like as an independent artist and now like because I'm trying to decide whether I put out my record before the election because I always wanted it out before the election or yeah. do I like sit Not on it until yeah. I can tour, you know? Yeah, um, that's yeah, it's so tricky that stuff because you just you can't predict the future. Um the last time I released an album, it was right after the election. And I had sort of gone through the same thing. Mm -hmm. And man, was I depressed <laughs> then. So like, yeah. it ended up being, you know, for, for various reasons, but certainly the state of the world and a President Trump was, was part of it. Um, or not even necessarily a President Trump, but a world that could elect a President Trump, I would say, is the bigger, the bigger issue. Um, yeah, he's I not think, the problem. You know, we but, get the politicians we deserve and that we've got a lot of really bad strains um, in society that it's easy, you know, being in like a New York kind of creative, probably progressive, you know, community, uh -huh. you just don't see. And then you're like, oh, wait, yeah, 
This is, I mean, you don't see as much, you still see it for sure. Um, and I obviously don't see it as much being like a white woman with relative degree of privilege, but, um, yeah, it just felt very, the world felt very heavy then. So I, I, I guess I'm just saying I very much empathize with that decision of what do you do? I, I appreciate that. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to make that decision pretty much next week. Uh, wow. so, um, so yeah, yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. The the nice thing is is like the record's the best thing I've ever made hands down objectively. Like there's not a bad song on it and I'm and I couldn't be more proud of it and I've That's never awesome. been able to talk about something I made this way. That's um, awesome. And so I'm just like fuck it, throw it out there. People are going to love it. Like it's it's just that good. Um That's such a great feeling. I can't wait to hear it. Thank you. And I and I don't talk about my shit this way ever and I and um I really just feel that way about it and I want to transition that into your new record because I heard it and like listened to it pretty much for like a week. It is so good. It's oh, so thank you. and like Green Hearts, your first record. Was that your first record or your first full length? That was my first full length. Yeah. I because I, I met you on such a random, yeah. such a random occasion. I happened to be at our friend Mike uh, Abiuso, I think is how you say his last name. So, uh, yeah. His studio or I was swinging by for something and then you were recording some acoustic versions and I happened to know some camera stuff. So I shot video for it. And so cool. You were was, just so game. It was so fun. Yeah. I, well, it's like I went to film school and I yeah. used to like exist in that world. And I, and then I kind of abandoned it all to move to New York and be a songwriter. Wow. And it's, and it's like a muscle that I'm really into, especially now trying to flex more and more. Um, sure. But that was, that was so great to, to just be able to be like, yeah, I'll just immerse myself in shooting this video for this person I don't really know. And just like, I don't know. Yeah, you, it came became, out great. <laughs> you and I became such like, it was just like immediately like this, this person's great. And I want, I love the song she's singing. And I want yeah. to like, I don't know, be a part of the, her to be a part of my community and me to be a part of hers. Same. Um, yeah, it's so funny how that happens. You just kind of just through playing gigs and through, you know, I also think it happens more often the further into it you are. Cause you like, you know, we're both friends of Mike, for example. Totally. So it's like that immediately that's sort of a, you know, point of proof. Like a voucher. Yeah. yeah. That's what I, yeah. So. It's really yeah. funny. Cause I, and I want to get back to your records. Sorry. But it's, <laughs> no. it's, it's funny. Cause I like to joke about what, like I, me and especially like this network of friends I've made around the country that aren't really like known in the Americana world. Like mm -hmm. there's like the Americana world. And then there's like the triple a baseball, which is us. Yeah. And, uh, but like, I've been doing this, I've been playing in bands and doing all this stuff since I was pretty much out of high school, like 19. And when I met Mike and I heard that he had played in a band, I think called the Venetia fair. And I was right. like, Oh, my old band, used to get reviewed on the same blog as his old band and like you know what i mean and it, yeah. gave, it gave him that voucher oh, that's so funny it's it is just like like you said the deeper you get into this the more you meet people that like because there there's a lot of people that are like i'm gonna go be a songwriter and a year later they're like i'm gonna go be an accountant right <laughs> oh yeah it's, like, it's hard as fuck it's yeah you have to you, you know you just have to really want to be spending your time that way there has to be no other option. That's pretty much it. Like, sounds yeah. like you had a pretty, like, I mean, not the corporate world is 
hard as fuck. I couldn't do it. But it sounds like you, as far as the corporate world, were doing pretty well. Yeah, I'm sure, you know, I could have kind of written that out a little bit um, and been, you know, been fine at it. But man, it just, yeah, it's a lot. I mean, it was like, (laughs) it was just like my income, you know, reduced by, I don't know, it's 30% of what it used to be or something, you know, like it's just, that is a, a source of, comes from love. And it's just also like, how you spend your time, you know, how you spend your days, it's how you, that's how you spend your life. And I want to spend my days making music, even if it means being like stressed about money a little bit, um, you know. Because what matters, like on the hierarchy of things that matter to you is music, like spending your life doing, like spending your time doing what you love and chasing a passion and chasing your bliss. Is that more important than being stressed about money? Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? And and for some people, it's not, you know, like, I'm not saying I've made the right decision. I just know that, like, there wasn't any other choice for me. Yeah, it's right for you. Yeah, it does. And, and you're right. It does feel like there isn't another choice. Like, the idea of going back to the corporate world is, um, is insane. Like, it's like a joke to me almost. Like, you know, and actually, I mean, sort of our, our news is that in the N- November, we're actually moving to Nashville. Oh, really? Um, we are. Yeah. It's New York. It's just the cost of living has, uh, I feel like we've reached a, a, a limit. I feel like it's hard. It's been, it's been hard to, um, kind of grow, you know, grow yeah. our careers the way that we want to. And, you know, Chuck's always, I mean, he's, until recently sort of gigging like five or six nights a week and also gigging during the day. Like he's just, yeah, uh, it's been nonstop for years for him and he's, his songwriting has taken a back seat. And, you know, I think for a while he was happy to have the work and, and, you know, like you said, the 10,000 hours. Um, But, you know, it just seems it's the right move for us. So that's, that's an exciting thing to look forward to. That's really exciting. Yeah. I've actually, or sorry, keep going. No, I was just you know being in a place where um, there is disposable income, both like for our personal lives and our professional lives, to kind of invest in what we're doing. Agreed. I don't. If I didn't have, I say this all the time. If I didn't have the apartment I'm in now with the roommates I have, I, I would have left New York a couple of years ago for sure. I don't think I would have made it through that mental breakdown and and the Man. subsequent debt and everything I had to deal with at that point, but. Um, I actually just the other day looked at, like said it out loud to my roommates that I'm like, I'm ready to leave New York. Um, and I don't, I don't, that could be two years. That could be, you know what I mean? Like I had, I had set all these goals of like, okay, I want to hit playing live really hard. I want to open a show for at Bowery ballroom by the end of the year, like all these things that I had set these goals and then like COVID comes through and it's like, and I can't do the one thing that New York makes sense to me is like playing yeah. music. And it's like, uh, I gotta be somewhere else. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know when I don't have the money to move, but yeah, I think, I think there's, it's, it's, you can't be an artist and live in the city like for too long. No, if no, you especially if you don't you hit can't. some level of success. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of, you know, it's been a long time coming for us and this kind of sped up the decision, but we're both, and I think it also just got him on board in a big way because 
he had a, he had some really good gigs and they were sort of like golden handcuffs is what a friend of ours called them. Yeah. Um, and so every bar job I've ever, I've had for the past few years were. Yeah. Yeah. It's were, hard to leave. It's hard to leave. But now that I'm like not bartending anymore, it's like, I'm never going back. I'll, That's I'll how he feels. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and we can do that. Um, in other places. I mean, you know, it's just insane what we pay. Um, and I was teaching all the time. We were just burnt out and, you know, so that's, that'll be like a new chapter for us in like a very different way for both of us to approach our careers. And, you know, just to be, I mean, New York's definitely a city that people are, that gets artists, like that gets the creative pursuit, but I don't think it's a city that, necessarily understands like working musicians um i think there's a lot of and i have so many good friends in this community mm-hmm. but i think because it costs so much i think a lot of the people that are really hustling once they get to a certain point they're like wait the math doesn't work here anymore unless they have a good deal like you you know totally. um and even i'm just like it doesn't it doesn't it add doesn't. up i could <laughs> yeah. live other places, even like a place like LA or I don't know what Nashville's prices are like. And I know it's not cheap, but like, I know I could live somewhere like LA or move back to Salt Lake or Arizona or something where I'm just like, Oh, I could just be doing music. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's crazy. And it's like, also, you know, I could be, I could totally see in the foreseeable future being able to like pay my rent through Patreon, Mm -hmm. like in other, in another place, which feel would feel amazing you know yeah. like here it's like oh man I, that's like and it seems like an insurmountable task in yeah a way. it does and it's just um and you it, you know it's not like you it's not like we own and we're um paying Gaining off a mortgage yeah. yeah we're just starting burning money every month and so so we ended up we bought a car last month and um we're actually we're driving down on wednesday to check out some neighborhoods and, you know, it was just sort of, I'll be teaching, um, I have a busier schedule in September and October. So like, this is our option opportunity. So we're going to just spend a few days looking at things obviously in socially distanced ways, but, um, you know, get a sense for the neighborhoods. I have, I have some friends down there. I know some people that play and, you know, that's think, so exciting. I, I think Nashville, yeah. it's on my radar as a potential place to move. I just don't know if it's top of the list. Sure. Yeah. Um, mainly just because like I, I've never had any sort of in. I've never I've only played house shows outside of Nashville and like open mics in Nashville. I've never had anyone even come close to offering me some sort of like in in right. Nashville. <laughs> Yeah. So and I'm well, like and so many people are like Chuck, why are you why aren't you in Nashville? Your songs would kill it in Nashville. I'm like because nobody in Nashville has ever seemed like they ever. Well, give cared. it a year, give me a few months, and yeah. then come down. We'll do a show together. That, I would I, love that. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm I, I'm excited. No, I I think it's I think it's the right move for you guys, and I also like that's just me being a pessimist. Is like totally. I felt that way. It's all about like, I mean going out there and getting after it and i i don't want to keep you for too much longer but i do really want to there's something i wanted to talk about going back to the the between time of um green hearts and uh and big time baby 
because they're they're both fantastic records. But as so, as someone who's been doing this for a long time, like the the amount of growth that I saw in your new record is just like phenomenal. It's your I, oh, I want you, you I want you to talk about that. Like what what were the decisions? Like like uh, um, looking back at me has got this disco vibe. Like it they're just it's just. I don't know. It doesn't feel like Leslie Barth singer songwriter. It's like Leslie Barth, like institution. You know what I mean? Like it's That's so cool. <laughs> like you, I feel like you kind of showed up with this record and I want you to talk about that. Well, first of all, thank you. I, that was my intent. I think I really, um, when I was making green hearts, I was, I was super green <laughs> and I had money and I didn't have to stress over, what studio can I afford? Can I hire musicians? And I didn't have time to like do a lot of pre-production. I didn't really know how to do a lot of pre-production well. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the songs and the production, like kind of not the songs, but the production got away from me a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, and I always had 140 things on my mind with work and it was really hard to kind of, I think make the album that I wanted to make. And I also didn't have the, hadn't, hadn't done it enough. To know how to skills. translate, yeah, to translate what's in my head to skills, what's vocabulary. out there. Vocabulary, yeah, sorry. Vocabulary, yeah, yeah. And the so I knew I wanted it to be really different with Big Time Baby. And um, I ended up recording it with uh, this guy, Joe Michelini, who is a friend of my brother. They worked together in Philly. And Max, my brother, shared Joe, some of Joe's music with me. And I was like, this guy's phenomenal. I mean, he's just a wildly talented songwriter. Um, and produces his own stuff. And I felt like, although our music is is different, um, it's sort of more in the, like indie rock kind of world, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, I liked his songwriting and I liked how the production served the songwriting. Yeah. And so um, we went down to his studio outside of Philly in New Jersey, Chuck and I, and checked it out. And I kind of talked about what kind of record I wanted to make and, how I wanted to be really involved in the production um, and find somebody who can help me like translate what's in my head kind of out there. And we just had a really great way of communicating. He's a, he's a, he's a good communicator. kind of worked for me at any rate. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was like, well, let's make a record. And so we booked time for like 10 days in the studio I think we had a little time off in between last July and I just prepared super, super hard. I demoed everything out. There was a lot of back and forth. I went down again to Philly for a pre-production meeting with him. And like, we talked through things and I was listening to old demos of the songs and he added so much to polishing them and to, um, you know, just little choices here and there. And on certain songs certainly had a lot more to contribute um, but a lot of the songs, like the demos are very clearly what we did, what we did in the actual studio when we recorded them for real. So I think I just was able to take the time to really, and my only goal was to just be really kind of honest and serve the song with production. I wasn't thinking about um, where do I fit in <laughs> to yeah. Not that I was the last time, but I was very specifically wanting to be like, this is for me. And I think maybe with the next record, I might think about that a little bit more um, Mm -hmm. just because I find that usually like I kind of go back and forth, you know, 
It's like yeah. one for them, one for me. I don't know. They're, you know, I want to approach it this way and now I want to approach it that way. But yeah, it was, I'm really glad to hear that it, it felt, uh, you know, like a Leslie Worth institution because it was very much, you know, from me. Yeah, no, that's, I love that. And I think there's so much there. There's like a lot to unpack there, especially for any like, on um or like to discover in like any anyone who's like like green songwriters or or who isn't as experienced because I spent so much of my career making things that I was like I had figured out the sounds like category before it was even finished I'm like I want this to sound like this and and then you're chasing that as long as possible mm-hmm. um and the song gets lost in the production or you know, like there's all these different things that can happen to where like I step up to the mic to sing vocals and I, I heard Joe Pug on his uh, podcast, which is great. The working songwriter, if anyone doesn't mm-hmm. listen to it, but I heard him say something about like, it feels almost like you're singing karaoke to your own songs. Oh man. And I heard him say that and it was like a light bulb went off or went on and was like, holy shit. That's every single time I've ever recorded vocals on anything. Like I've never felt like. I was showing up to sing the song I wrote. I felt like I was showing up to like sing my lyrics on someone else's song in a weird way. Interesting. And so with this, this record I just made, it was, I don't know exactly. And I, I haven't really put any thought into like how it happened. Cause it was also such a whirlwind and it like, we're in the studio mid like COVID shutting down the city of Philadelphia. And I made my record in Philly too, which is rad. Um, yeah. What studio? But, uh, it's called Headroom. Okay, cool. The uh, Joe Joe Reinhardt from the band Hopalong produced it, and it's he's cool. a, he's a genius. It, I'm excited, but That's awesome. It was like stepping up to the vocal booth or to the mic. I guess we didn't use a vocal booth, but and just owning it somehow, being like, these are my words. This is like my voice, and I'm. And I'm singing my fucking stories. Like, you know what I mean? And that's awesome. And I listen to it now, and that's how I can be like, it's the best thing I've ever made. It's it was like this weird confidence. I don't know if it was a coming into myself or the work I've done the past couple of years to finally just like believe in myself, but it felt great. And it and your record sounds like that to me. Your Thank record you so sounds much. like someone who's like, This is who I am. And and this is what I'm going to do. And that's why it doesn't have to be sound like it doesn't it, it, like one song can sound like a disco song. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it because it's it's you. It's not like trying to fit into some form of genre or right. whatever. Yeah. I mean, that's the coolest thing to hear. <laughs> I I sometimes struggle with that, like with genre, because like and, and I had a disco song on Green Hearts, too. Like I. You know, and then I have stuff that veers super almost like country, like old country, mm-hmm. classic country, um, and kind of everything in between. And I, when I think about that, when I have like my industry mindset on, gatekeeper mindset on, I'm like, this is, I just don't even know what to do with that. But then I think about who are some of my favorite, who are some of the people that I like listening to the most? And there are like friends of mine who write in very different styles. And yeah. like, I think objectively, they're better than a lot of what I hear and a lot of like indie darlings. And, you know, it, it, that stuff is really, 
it's just capitalism. <laughs> it's totally. just, you know, kids that from a very early age have parents who can throw thousands of dollars at their career and like navigate them to like the taste keeper, you know, the tastemakers and um, that's sure. fine, but it's, you know, it can be disheartening to feel, you know, I mean, you felt it just like, totally. I'm sure. 100% every single day. Every yeah, every day. day. I've already felt it like twice. Just like yeah, <laughs> but, but I think it's it's really important to remember is uh, like capitalism, like big yep. ca- capital C capitalism. It's a it's something to remember, and like whether you believe in that capitalism are good or bad or not, like it's like okay, propaganda has been proven to work. Yeah, you know it works. Like we we are manipulatable beings, and propaganda use the right way can manipulate you into thinking a certain way. What is advertising propaganda? So like there's a reason why Taylor Swift is the most popular person, like popular artist on the planet. And I love Taylor Swift. Her new record's fucking fantastic. Don't like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But But it's just, it's not that much more fantastic. If you look at the numbers compared to your stuff, I don't think it's, I mean, I prefer yours, but like, you know, it's, but I don't have the marketing dollars behind my stuff. Right. Which, and thank you. I appreciate that. And I, but that's, you know, like, that's a thing that we need to keep in mind is like, oh, is so two things that I try and remember when I'm having, I mean, there's like a lot of things I try and remember, but speaking like mantras or whatever it is to try and just center me when I'm having those moments of like inferiority or hopelessness yeah, is comparison game. Yeah, totally. It's, it's the whole like, okay, based on like, okay, how far have you come based on where you were? X amount of however long ago. Totally. Like yeah. what, what have you done? You know, not compared to other people. Like, and th- then I'm just like, Oh, I think about just the person I was four years ago and I wasn't a bad person, but I'm just like, Holy shit. Thank God. I'm not that person. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I do. I do. <laughs> and, and then and there's that. And then there's also, um, there's seven and a half, eight billion people on the planet. Yeah. There's eight, billion people on the planet i promise you if you put the work into it if you if you like if you really want this to work out and you want to figure out how to do it you can find one to two thousand people on this planet that are willing to support your music enough for you to make a living at it yep i promise like there's eight billion people on the planet you know what i mean like that's you know, that's the thing. I feel like I come back to something similar when I have to kind of talk myself out of the spiral. And a lot of it is like, you know, I've already found like 50 or whatever, you know, that I can uh-huh. 50 to a hundred people that will either, you know, some of them are on Patreon. Some of them consistently buy what I put out or merch. Totally. I'm like, okay, so they're out there. Like I just need to, you know, and it went back when I was touring, it was like, kind of predictable like what I could maybe add on to that yeah you know with each with each tour I played a an open mic upstate fishing last week because there's a spot called the colony in Woodstock oh sure yeah and I've been wanting to go up there and my brother and I were up there fishing and I brought my guitar I was like I'm gonna go play this thing and it was it felt amazing Uh, just playing live music is is the best thing in the world it's the only reason I really want to be alive but let's not get too deep into that, but um, it's like uh, I, I played four songs, I think. Like my the battery on my guitar died because I haven't been playing live, so I had to like switch to it. Like I played a whole song without like my guitar working pretty much, and then yeah. I had to switch to the house guitar. But 
um, just in that met one, like this one dude, Jack, who's like been messaging me on Instagram all week and just bought a t-shirt and is like, Hey, when you play in New Jersey, like, That's and, awesome. I, and it was like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm good at this. Like I, I have this thing that people enjoy and like, and, and I, and I'm good at it. I just can't do it right now. Yeah. And it's, it really is one by one. Like that is how yeah. you build a fan base until, until you're at that like thousands of fans level, you know, maybe then you can get a few people at a time, but you know, even then it's the personal connections. And, and, and my highway friends are what have made the past 10 years worth it. If I'm going to be honest, it's not the drinking. It's not like the crazy stories that I have of like, you know, movie level, like just shenanigans from, drugs and alcohol like i've had a great time don't get me wrong but the things that have that make it all worth it are the friendships i've made one by one yeah i i i agree 100 this is like making me think of people that i've met and you know yeah i'm thinking of so many people right now it's great i can't wait to see you all on the road again in 2021 Uh, wear your masks social distance hand sanitize like let's we can get back to this guys we can yeah and we and yeah it's it's exciting to think too about like okay well what do i you know now i'm forced to have some downtime so you know like i'm trying to get better at guitar um you know i'm i I still feel like a piano player who like can sort of play a little guitar and you know um just trying to figure out what can i you know, I've been playing around with like playing electric guitar and like trying to, I mean, I don't know that I'll go the looping direction, but it's like cool to know. And um, totally. And who knows what Kate who knows? Bush, was it Kate Bush made that record with the sampler. My roommate was telling me about the other day that she just like bought like a drum machine or sampler back in the eighties. And it was really basic. Mm-hmm. It's like her most popular record because she just like, it's like really simple, but she, she's, she's great. So she made well, great music out of it. Right. And that's like going back to, the difference between making green hearts and big time baby, I feel like resourcefulness, like when you're forced to choose, when you don't have the money to just throw out a problem, you come up with better solutions. Oh, totally. Uh, the new record, I recorded so much of it from my bedroom because we ran out of time and like a lot of electric guitars, like guitar solos, stuff like that, that I wanted to play, but I wasn't good enough to just nail in the studio. Cause mm-hmm. I'm not like a shredding guitar player, but I love doing that stuff and challenging myself. And the record turned out like all of the hand percussion was recorded in my closet. Like all of the backing wow. vocals I did at home other other than my this Lucy Stone did some backing vocals. And it really opened up this world of like, dude, why aren't you making your own shit? Like you can do this. Totally. Like, what are you doing? And Quit. I've, yeah. What were you saying? Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say like I've, on both records, there's been a song that's like kind of more or less a lot like live, you know, just mm-hmm. me playing and singing. Um, this last record, it's the, the closing track, something good. And we had added some strings to it, which is really wonderful to be able to, to do. Mm-hmm. But um, I've definitely had people that like the stripped down stuff that I do, like call those like the best tracks from the album. So I'm like, man, I could, <laughs> if I just get a bunch of songs that are best delivered that way, I can make something in my living room. Totally. And there's nothing stopping you from doing that except your own fear of success or failure. 
Oh, yeah. Fear of success is such a real thing. Oh, it's so real. And that that takes me to a couple of the final things I want to talk about with you. Um, One is Patreon. The the one-by-one fan model turned into an actual sustainable um, platform. Like, I know you've been using it longer than me. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of it and there's so much more I'd like to do with it, but also I'm, I I'd just like for you to talk more about like your experience with Patreon, what you like, what you don't like, maybe explain it a little bit to anyone listening. Um, we both, yeah. Leslie and I both have Patreon, Patreons, hint, hint, if anybody listening wants to support some independent artists, but yeah, I'd like to hear what you. Yeah, I, I think having worked in sales and marketing, one of the things that we talked a lot about to like our sales reps was to not, um, to like stand firm on price and not undervalue yourself. Uh huh. And I think that a lot of musicians, um, are really daunted by sales and marketing because they can't just sell their CDs anymore. You know, it's not just sort of straightforward. I make music, I sell music. Totally. Um, and so they think that they don't deserve to get money, mm-hmm. you know, for some reason, because they're not getting money. I think it's like a really common human, like I get what I, you kind of get what you accept. And I'm like, I don't accept Spotify payments. That's not enough. Totally. <laughs> and I think anybody who's, you know, putting their heart into something, even if it's recorded at home, anybody that's ser- like taking it seriously, taking the work seriously, putting their heart into it and making something um, deserves to stand by, by it and to be paid for it, you know? Um, Agreed. So for me, it was just, I like, you know, and it was also knowing how you know, moving to a subscription-based service is a really good move for companies. So I was like, well, subscription-based kind of crowdfunding, subscription-based um fans makes a lot of sense, especially because, you know, the income stream is really bumpy when you're a touring artist. Um, totally. And to have something to smooth that out. Like I was sort of thinking about it with this like marketing sales hat for companies. Mm-hmm. And I also, I really liked having something that I could direct people that are big fans to, that I could like give additional value to. I remember one time I posted, um, and I didn't really talk about it a lot, I think for a year or two, and I still, it's, I don't, I don't really hammer at home, sell it too hard. Cause I think people will just kind of find their way there. I think it's hard to, you know, I kind of know once, I think you can only sell so often, right. You have to yeah. kind of give people value and it's a tricky balance, I think, but trying to find that balance is very difficult. It's really difficult. Yeah. But I, um, posted something about it once, or I think it wasn't, I don't even think I posted about it. I just, um, shared something. And this guy who had bought an album on Bandcamp, I don't know who he is. Um, I mean, I know who he is, but I had never met him before. He bought the album on Bandcamp. And so I recognized his name and, uh, he was like, hi, how can we support you? I think I was talking about how it's a difficult time for musicians. This was right at the beginning of the pandemic. And I was like, oh, I have Patreon. And he ended up joining and he ended up joining at the $50 a month level. Yeah. And I just feel like having something, having something you can sell people sounds like obvious, but a lot of musicians don't actually have that. 
Yeah. And Patreon's just a, like an evergreen thing that you can sell. And it was also a way for me to get to know better the people that are my biggest supporters because, you know, I want to make music that they like. Not that I'm ever writing for an audience, but um, which <laughs> there's, you could have a whole podcast on that, but like, yeah. you know, um, it just feels good to know the people who support you and to be able to make it a personal connection, especially in a world where you can't tour. 100%. I totally agree. And, and it's the, the, the approach I I've taken to Patreon has changed a little bit um, just because of, you know, money being tight or whatnot. But originally it was just like, I'm just kind of going to leave this money as like my safety net or when I need a budget to make something. Cause that's mm-hmm. like, my record Cesarea is like, I love that record so much. And I think it's the only thing that, Oh, thank you. The, the only thing, the only issue I have with it is I didn't record it like a year or two prior. Like all those songs were besides one of them had been written for a couple of years and I was just sitting on them because I was like, I need the money to make the record I want to make. And it took me two years plus to come up with that money. And in that time I moved to New York and everything like that. And the freshness of the songs, I feel like wasn't captured because they weren't fresh. And, um, you know, and there, there's like other things like I think and I love that record, but I'm like a part, part of my issues with it were like it's like oh, I, it could have been better or whatever. Um, but Patreon, I'm like, that's going to be my way to be like, oh, when I want to make something, I've got a little bit of money to make it. Yeah, because I've been like <laughs> just like up until a year or two ago, maybe a year ago, like really just barely stringing together, like the, the week by week bills, you know, yeah, not, not as like a complaining thing. It's just like, it's just the life I chose. Right. And so, and anything like Patreon is it's, it's huge. And people don't realize that like a dollar a month or whatever the lowest tier is $3 is like, it makes it, it's a big, it's a big difference. It is a big difference. And I feel like there's, it's, a, it's, I think it's mostly a good thing that there are more people doing this um, because it's just making it, it's normalizing it for people. Totally. And if somebody already has, if someone's already supporting someone else on Patreon, it's going to be easier for them to support you because most of the time of people that have like the money to support, what I think stops them what stops me when I have money, which is not these days, but yeah. <laughs> once, once we move, I want to go back to supporting people, um, uh, is having to fill out all of your like information. Like it's kind of annoying, you know, you have to create a password and log in like, you know, it shouldn't be, but we are all completely, um, our sense of time has been completely manipulated by the internet and, yeah something that takes two minutes is like far too long. <laughs> yeah. Which is so messed up, but it's, so it's, messed up. it's real, especially if you're running your own business and you're, you know, like you said, you're booking tours, you're dealing with merch, you're making the music, you're raising money to whatever, by whatever means. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to not be constantly bouncing around between email and then responding to DMs and then like, you know, making music. And yeah. For me, being less busy in July and August because my lesson load is is light in the summer, mm-hmm. it's been hard. I do better when I'm busy. Yeah, I do too. I, I I don't spiral much these days because I've figured out ways to cope with or to deal with my brain spiraling and get That's it to great. stop. 
Um, and like, and that's, you know, I'm probably speaking too soon because next week I'll probably start. <laughs> but uh, I've just figured out like, you know, exercise and not drinking just really helps my mind to stay a lot more stable than it, it is otherwise. Um, but um, man, I just lost track of what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> about, let's see, where were we? mental health not spiraling oh, okay sorry that carries me into my my next and probably close to final question is um what are you afraid of Whew. um i think my biggest fear is like and i don't have it as much anymore but i think i felt very quiet and protective when I was making this album. I didn't really like talk about it during the process of making it. Um, I, I don't want to end up good at something I don't like, or I don't want to end up known for something that doesn't feel real to me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sort of. Um, which I think was why I really wanted to make like an album that felt very me. Mm -hmm. um, because then it, it's easy to be like, take it or leave it. This is what it is. Um, I, I get that. I totally get that. Yeah. And I think especially after like having some success in the corporate world and, you know, I, I read somewhere in some self-help book, you know, cause I devour them all yes, <laughs> like, <me too. laughs> one, you know, or some podcast, like, you know, the worst thing that you can do is like be successful at the wrong thing, which I don't, I think it's hyperbole, but obviously, you know, that's, that's something that really stuck with me. Um, I so think I that's, just, that's yeah. the makings of midlife crises and, and, <laughs> you know, like, like, yeah, I, sorry, I'm, I don't mean to throw you off because it sounds like you were going somewhere. No, I mean, I think it's just, it's just that the fear of, I guess the fear of not being understood or seen for who I am. Yeah. But we also like, hide and protect who we are <laughs> totally you make um, it really hard for people <laughs> yeah it's i mean being it's human it's yeah. weird sorry what were you saying no it's, it's a game it's like i just want to be seen but i'm gonna hide from you and not necessarily trust oh, this man. relationship <laughs> that feels like dating um yeah the, i think the game of dating is like all i want is for you to see me but i'm gonna make it impossible for you to fucking see me I feel like that's any relationship. I mean, I've been out of the dating game for a while, but like, I just think, man, it's, it's communication, I guess, at the end of the day. Totally. Um, it's hard. It's really hard, but it's also the, that's what last week's episode was very much about with my friend Genevieve is like that the hard conversation is usually always worth it. And it's only like a small amount of uncomfortable, like or, or feeling uncomfortable that you have to break through. And then it's like, God, vulnerability is amazing when, when you can sit there and actually be in it with someone that you trust. And yeah, it's so true. It's like the point, like if, yeah, if that's not the point, like I don't care. Like it's the point for me. I think so. And do you think, you know, sort of, I feel like, touches on so many things that we've talked about so far, but like, I feel like that's what we get out of touring a little bit is being able to like sit in shared feelings with people. And sometimes vulnerability is easier with people you don't know. Totally. And that's, see, that's with touring. That's the, 
the like that's the version of it I want to be exploring because the version of it before for a long time was for me was escapism um, mm. or like not like being able to be like Chuck, like on stage Chuck, not not every day like goofball that hits his head on everything that he could possibly hit his head on. And, you know, just like a total right. goo- like I'm just a total goober. And yeah. on, on stage, I kind of sometimes look like a badass, you know, and right. and when I'm on tour, especially with my buddy Trace early on touring with him a lot, we would just like walk into a bar and like, like start shooting pool with guys and like make up a complete story of like how we were surveyors for the the railroad railroad or like, just like being able to be, so interesting. be a ghost. And then yeah. When I started touring by myself and I had that mental breakdown, essentially, I don't know what else to call it. <laughs> when I wanted to drive my car off of a cliff, yeah. um, I was like, uh, I was like, oh, I've been on the road for three and a half months. I haven't been seen this whole time. And I've been and I've turned into the ghost. Like, yeah, I, I am of no significance. There's a song for you. Oh, yeah, there's a there's a there's a couple. <laughs> You're probably like, I've written a few of those <laughs> uh, there. I'm working on a few of those. Uh I think there might be something on the new record. I don't remember. But yeah, no, actually, that's a lot of what the new record's about. Anyways, yeah, no, it's... Yeah. it's Showing up as your full self. That's like... Oh. That's the that's the job. That's, that's terrifying. Because then if you do that and people don't like it, oh, then you're really... <laughs> well, that's, that's the scary thing. That's tribalism. That's ego. That's like your biggest fear or like our deepest rooted fear is that we're going to be abandoned. Mm-hmm. That we're going to at least I don't know about for everyone but for me that's like that's super deep it goes back to my childhood but also I think it goes to evolution because if the tribe casts you out you did not survive right. so you're yeah. so afraid of showing your true self because if someone denies your true self you're gonna fucking die Oof. and that's yeah. it's not true but that's where those feelings come from and it's it's such an everyday practice to be living in that pocket of like vulnerability and being yourself and being comfortable with it. And when you can, the art is that much better. And I think that's something I've loved about watching you grow. And, and I'm not like, I'm not an expert. We don't know each other super well, but I feel like you're doing the work. So your art can also be that much better. Like you're a better person because of the work you're doing and therefore you're creating better art. Thanks. Yeah, I think it's, if you get your head right, everything kind of flows from there. Yeah. And even when it doesn't, even when it's like high highs and low lows, the roller coaster, I'm just like managing it so much better. Yep. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah. My turnaround time has, has definitely improved and my ability to talk myself out of spirals has improved. But man, it's just, especially if you have any sort of anxiety issues, which I totally do. And they're really heightened these days Mm -hmm. um it's you know when you're experiencing you're like shit i guess i just have to experience this i guess i just have to feel this and then deal with managing those feelings but like yeah learning how to manage them does not make them go away no it doesn't and it's but it's also having the compassion for yourself to be like you know what i get i get a smoke pot and play video games and play guitar day like yeah it's like because especially my workaholic mind that's like productivity 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 is tied to worth 
um, mm-hmm. me being like, I'm really sad today and fuck it. I'm going to be sad and I'm going to maybe write a sad song or I'm going to watch community or, you know, like I'm going to, it's just like, uh, totally. and I'm, but I'm not going to let this, my depression used to take a couple bad things or a breakup or something that like should have been a week or two and turn it into three months. Sure. Yeah. I feel that. And I'm not, I'm not letting that happen again. (laughs) I'm not. Cause like you get essentially third bill Nye on a podcast. I heard him say something like you get like around 30,000 days to live. And he's like, he's like, that's a lot of days, but it's also a football stadium. Like, so you can picture it. And it's like, and you get to sit in each one of those seats, but that's all you wow. get. So oh, yeah. that's a good one. Yeah, he. I was just like, God damn it, Bill Nye. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's it's the truth, and that's that's part of being vulnerable. That's part of being your best self and being out here and like following your bliss. It's it's a risk, but like, but like, what else is there? <laughs> so true. So true. Well, I, I feel really good. I think this was a great conversation. I, I didn't realize we were going to talk this close to two hours, but I know. it's yeah. it's been great. And Leslie, I, I think you're awesome. I, I really love to love what you're doing. And I'm so excited for you and Chuck's future in Nashville uh, when that happens. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. I can't wait to hear your new record whenever it comes out. Um, I'll be sure to and, let you know. Yeah, this was a really fun chat. It's it's aside from pot. I mean, even if this never came out, <laughs> it's just nice to talk to human beings. Oh, during... <laughs> agreed. Agreed. <laughs> I uh, I'd really love it if you could just plug your uh, your your internet things. Like, where can everyone find you? How can they support you or, or hear what you, more about what you're all about? Yeah. Um, so I'm Leslie Barth, and it's Leslie with a Y, L E S L E Y. And yeah, lesslybarth.com. You can kind of see all the things, go to Patreon um, from there, listen to music. Um, yeah, I'm on the platforms and happy to happy to connect anywhere. Totally. And um, if anybody, you know, if, if you happen to, if your thumbs happen to be broken and you don't know how to Google, reach out to me and I'll, I'll send you the links to, to Leslie to, to hear her stuff. Um, yeah. Having the weirdly spelled, not weirdly, but not the typical spelling of Leslie means I'm very Googleable. So you were like, you (laughs) popped up in the predictable thing in my like Google address bar. Oh, I was like, like, damn, that's a next level. There's like a lot of, I have a Charles Ellsworth uh, Google alerts or whatever. And I just get notified every time some some dude dies because like every because oh. everybody <laughs> like nobody's named charles ellsworth besides me and a bunch of dudes in their 80s right yeah that's so funny it took us charles ramsey so i feel like it's there's a similar <laughs> yeah i tell him to set a google alert well unless he gets like sad from that sort of thing because i just get like noticed like every other week that it's like oh some dude with my oh, that, name died that's pretty sad <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty funny um that's amazing uh yeah it's it's good stuff uh my name's charles ellsworth by the way i'm not an 80 year old man that's uh that's going to pass away and get a google notification i don't know what i'm trying to say but you can find out more about me on my website charles ellsworth music.com uh instagram charles.smellsworth or just look me up on all of the platforms as well thanks so much for listening to a Dirtbag's Guide to Life on the Road. And Leslie, thanks so much for joining me. 
Thanks for having me. Until next week.